Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a few different passages, but I wanted to share that uh, the reason that I'm preaching this morning is because Aaron Bannister, congratulations to him, graduated from another uh, program, that overachiever, uh, finished, finished Army basic training, and uh, Paul and Teresa were able to go out there and spend time with him, so Paul asked if I would share uh, this morning uh, with Cornerstone. So little does Aaron know, I've also registered him for many programs that require graduations for his parents to travel to, so that <laughs> I'll also have other opportunities to preach, so... I hope he's ready for all the work that, that's coming to him. We're going to look at three different passages of Scripture, so if you want to uh, take your Bibles, and we're going to start in, in Psalm 103. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter 33 and 34, and then we're going to finish in Romans 9. So if you want to find those passages now, go ahead and flip to those. Let's pray. God, we're grateful to be in your house this morning to hear your word. God, I pray that our hearts would be fertile soil for the seeds of the word to be planted and to grow up and to harvest and to be fruitful. God, we lift up Cornerstone Church to you, the people that are here for all the needs that, that, that are here. God, for financial needs, for, for health needs, for relational needs. God, for families to grow up and be strong in you. For individuals to grow up and be strong in you so that we would have fruits of the Spirit. God, that the way that we live our lives would be a testimony to those around us, and we lift up our community to you, that we would have the boldness to share the gospel, that we would have the boldness to live a life worthy of the gospel, and that, Lord, we would be drawn to you, that we'd be drawn to your word daily, and that we would know that you give more grace, that you are compassionate and gracious. So Lord, we lift this time up to you. May the words of my mouth and the medita meditations of my heart be pleasing to you in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you spent any time thinking about your journey, about your life, about all the events of your life that led up to these moments that you live in? If you looked back, could you trace the threads that brought you to where you are right now? Can you see the story of how you became the person you are today? It's my hope that you'll come on a journey with me this morning and explore a few of those threads in my own life. We're going to look at three events in my life and three of these passages of Scripture that all kind of connect and interrelate. Now, you may hear the voice of a skeptic, and, and maybe they would say, these stories don't matter. But I would respond, dear friend, that the way our lives connect to the living and enduring Word of God are in these stories. This is how our spirit testifies with God's spirit that we are children of God. 
Maybe the, the voice of your doubts would step up and you could hear in an audible way, this story or these stories of other people's redemption isn't your story. Or maybe the voice of the accuser would say, you aren't good enough. There's nothing special about you for God to save you. To your skeptics, doubts, and the accuser of the brethren, you should say this, is that all? Is that all you have to come at me with? And some of these may even be true. You and yourself are not enough to be saved. When you've been saved, you have Christ's righteousness implanted onto you. So yes, doubter, yes, accuser, yes, skeptic, we are not good enough. But Christ's sacrifice eliminates our sin. His resurrection gives us new life in him. We are covered, we are passed over by the blood of the Lamb. These voices may come up from time to time, but you need only do one thing, turn down the volume of these voices and turn up the volume of truth. Turn up the volume of your heart's cry to the Spirit of God that lives inside of you from Psalm 119.94, I'm yours, save me. So will you join me and lower the volume on those or mute those voices for just a few moments and let's take this journey together. Come. I'm going to start in the middle of the story. I want you to picture a boy throwing rocks into a lake. He falls into the lake and after the initial fall, his head comes out of the water and then without knowing how to swim, his head becomes submerged once again. Clinging to the necessity of oxygen, his head pops up out of the water perhaps for perhaps the final time. Then he goes back down again. This is you. This is me. This is all the people all around us that we know. We are submerged in our own sin. We are drowning in our own self-reliance. We live life how we want to live it, and now your head is going under for the last time. Now, at this time, we can take a look at Psalm 103, but we could also go to Psalm 111. We could go to Psalm 145, or we could even go to our verse of the month, Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9 says this, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. But let's take a look at Psalm 103. We're going to start in verse 6 and go to verse 13. It says this, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. Remember that, that will be important. His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our, sin, to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Amen? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father 
shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, another translation that I read often uh, from verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This phrasing about the Lord's mercy or compassion and being slow to anger is repeated throughout the Old Testament. And this idea is repeated in a few parts of the New Testament as well, and we're going to explore one of those this morning in Romans chapter 9. But I want to go back to the middle of the story kind of of the Bible. The Hebrew people, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, would have to continually remind themselves of this truth. Because even in the midst of them being conquered, when the nations of Israel in the north and Judah in the south were a divided kingdom, Babylon had come to conquer the nation of Judah in the south. And Jeremiah, the writer of Lamentations, the prophet at the time during this, wrote this in Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Another translation starts out this passage, and it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. In arguably one of the darkest times for the people of Israel, the prophet speaks boldly of the compassion and mercy of the Lord that never fails. You could say this event was the people of God's final time their head went below water. After God redeems them out of slavery in Egypt, they doubt and wander the desert and a whole generation pass away before they enter the land God promised them. This could be the first time their head goes under. Then the whole period of the book of Judges could be Israel's second time their head goes under water. And after the kingdoms were divided and God sent Assyria to punish the nation of Israel in the north and Babylon to punish the nation of Judah in the south, Israel's head goes under for the third time. But because of God's great love, we are not consumed. Can we say that when our heads go underwater for the third and final time? When the financial hardships pull us down? When physical pain drags us under? When the broken family relationships or the career loss happens? And when we feel like we can't pull ourselves out do we rely on God's compassion? Do we rely on God's mercy? Now, one of Israel's issues for a long time with God is that they wanted God to make them a political and economic powerhouse in the region. And God was continually showing compassion to them because he wanted his people in Israel and the whole nation of Israel to be a light to the other nations in Israel that region. And we got this clue when the Hebrew people cried out and they said, we want a king like all the other nations. Now you might say, the Lord is enough for me. And I pray that is true. So as a way to kind of self-evaluate this morning, I want to take an inventory of what I pray and what you pray. I hear a lot of prayers and I pray these often 
for healing, for peace. We pray for wisdom. We pray for broken relationships to be reconciled. We pray for comfort. And none of these are bad to pray. But perhaps a prayer we could pray is, God, I just want you. I want to know you. Even if you give me nothing else, even if there's no other healing, even if there's no other comfort, even if there's nothing that I pray for and it's continually answered, no, God, I am going to be content with you as a God of compassion. I can make it another day knowing that you are slow to anger, abounding in love. I will rest and have peace in your loving kindness to me. I spoke with a friend just the other day who went through some trials in his life and continues to go through some trials in his life. And he told me he's repenting from this attitude that he has right now that because he went through all these trials, God owes him one. I went through all this. God, you owe me. All these bad things happen to me. God, you owe me this one. I want my pain gone like everyone else. I want my finances to not be a struggle like you did for these other people over here. I want my kids to be good and godly like you did for this family. I want a king like all the other nations have. But what if we just prayed God, would you be who you are? A compassionate, merciful, kind, loving, slow to anger God in my life. That boy throwing rocks that I told you about was actually my younger brother, Matt. And because our God is a God of mercy and compassion and has put that into the hearts of people, God saved him. And not because I jumped in and got him out of the water, but because the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Because the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, the Lord is good to all. God put compassion into my heart and his compassion saved my brother. When we have great accomplishments, can we say, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness? When we experience times of great sorrow, can we say, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, rich in love, the Lord is good to all? When everything is normal and we're just living life steady, Can we say, for great is his love towards us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. I'm going to take you back to the beginning where it all started for me. And I'll also share one of the beginnings for God's relationship with his people in Israel. So let's go to October 8th, 1989. And I don't make a big deal about my spiritual birthday or the day that I was saved. I didn't even realize that it was October 8th, 1989 until I looked in the first Bible that was given to me, which I still have, 
And I remember the church that I was saved at didn't have a Bible for me after I made a profession of faith at six years old. You're doing the math in your head. It's okay. I was born in 1983. So I had to wait a week to get my Bible. And I remember feeling for the entire week like maybe I wasn't really saved because I didn't have a copy of God's Word. So the date in the Bible is October 15th, 1989. One Sunday earlier would have been October 8th, 1989. And that date is actually also four weeks after my brother Matt was born. And God knew that I would need his compassion in me for God to rescue my brother. God knew that he would call us to ministry, that we would serve overseas, that we would worship in Cornerstone Church, that we would have three boys and live in the community that we live in, and that all along the way, I would need to be compassionate, that I would have to have compassion, and I'm not really great at that. But each day, by God's grace, he makes me more and more like him. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to read starting in verse 12, and then we're going to read a portion of chapter 34 as well. Exodus 33, starting in verse 12, says this, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have ever found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This is the very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and, you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And go down to Exodus 34, starting in verse 4. It says, So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children on the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. God reveals his glory. He reveals his character to Moses and to the Hebrews now freed from slavery in Egypt. Previously, the Lord revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush and shared his name to Moses. When Moses asked, who should I say sent me? God says, tell them I am or he is. God said his name is I am. I am the only free being. I am the uncreated one. I am the one who makes promises with your forefathers and keeps them. Tell the people, I am has sent you, Moses. And now in Mount Sinai, God reveals more of his character, more of who he is. He reveals his glory to Moses. Verse 5 says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God knew that the people of Israel would have rebellious times that they would come back to him, that he would raise up kings from humble beginnings and they would sin, that a remnant of his people and his promise would be thrown into a furnace in Babylon, be thrown into a lion's den, would be attacked when they tried to rebuild Jerusalem and would go through wars and struggles and be conquered again as they waited for their Savior. He also knew that some people would reject that Savior and still need mercy and compassion and need a reminder of who God is. I am. I will be compassionate on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Jesus tried numerous times to tell the people of Israel that he was God, that he was this I am. If you read through the book of John, you'll see so many I am statements that Jesus makes. But in John chapter 8, I think is one of the most compelling. Jesus says to the Pharisees that he's speaking with, your father Abraham, who if you didn't know, lived many years before God even revealed his name to Moses. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. They responded, you're not even 50 yet, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. And through Christ, God's ultimate compassion and mercy was shown when he died on the cross, rose again to new life. So now I'll take you to the final story in my life. I had graduated college I was starting full-time work at the first church that I had ministered at. I had just purchased a condo. I had moved out of my parents' home, and I was planning to ask Becky to marry me. I was at a crossroads in my life, and so I struggled with insomnia for about one to two weeks. I stayed up all night, my mind just racing. 
my thoughts going back and forth as I struggled, thinking about my insecurities, thinking about my inadequacies. I kept landing on a thought or a question, why me? Why did God choose me? Maybe I don't deserve to be saved. Maybe I'm not supposed to be saved because I don't see why God would want me. Now, I never doubted that I actually was saved, but I could never understand why God wanted me. I started reading when I couldn't sleep. I was listening to sermons too. And I listened to a sermon from Pastor John Piper on Romans chapter 9, and it opened my eyes and helped me see something vitally important. So let's go to Romans 9 and read that passage. Romans 9, we're going to start in verse 6. It says this, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Jacob I chose, Esau I did not choose. This should give you great hope. Now, when some read this, they may become dismayed that God would hate. Look, says the skeptic, your God hates. But the way God loves is not the way we love. The way God communicates is not the way that we communicate. The way God relates is not the way we relate and the way God hates is definitely not the way we hate. We must remove God from the confines of our thought. We have to remove him out of our ideas, out of our epistemology. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we must start to see God as someone wholly other than us. Jacob he loved. Esau he hated, and the hope 
and encouragement for the young man believing in Christ for the first time at six years old, to the young boy jumping in the water to pull his brother out, to the young adult sitting by himself unable to sleep, is that God will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. He will have mercy on whom he, have, he will have mercy. God is the most free being that exists, and what he chooses is what he chooses. And if you are listening today, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again three days later, according to the scripture, he ascended to heaven and he will return. If you believe and trust that truth, then he has chosen you. He has had compassion on you. Through Christ's death and resurrection, you have forgiveness of sin then he chooses you and your effort, your will, your exertion is not a factor in God's decision at all. And that is the hope. You see, when I stayed awake for all those nights thinking, why me? What do I have that God would pick me? What do I have to offer? That's when I heard this beautiful truth that he picked me because he will have compassion on whom he has compassion. His choosing me had nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. It does not, therefore, depend on human effort or desire, but on God's mercy. This is what I needed to understand, is that God's compassion for me has nothing to do with me his mercy toward me, the grace that he shows me isn't because of me. And when we think that it is, that's when we start asking the why me question. When we know that it's his choice, then we can start saying, great is your steadfast love toward me. And what a beautiful way to end a bout of insomnia and to get some rest in the Lord knowing that he has had compassion on me, he has shown mercy to me, and there's nothing that I did or will do for him not to choose me. In a little over a week, we should celebrate a holiday, and that holiday is not Halloween, but Reformation Day. On October 31st, 1517, a relatively unknown German monk and pastor named Martin Luther, who also had his struggles with his faith and was encouraged by a mentor to pray the prayer from Psalm 119, verse 94, I'm yours, save me. Martin Luther nailed 95 theses, came up with 95 theses and nailed him to the door in the church in Wittenberg. The first of the theses says this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Now these theses went on to talk about the practices of the church at the time to grant forgiveness of sins through giving and he saw that as unbiblical along with certain powers and authorities that the church held over people that he saw was also unbiblical and did not line up with scripture. And through this process of coming to a pure understanding of scripture during the Reformation, there's something that's called five solas of the Reformation that were formed. Two of them say this. Sola fida 
or faith alone affirms that justification, being made right with God, comes only through faith in Jesus. And another one is sola gratia, for grace or grace alone, says sinners are saved as an unearned gift of God's grace. If you look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Romans 2, chapter 2, verse 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Ephesians chapter 1 starting in verse 4, says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. What shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let's pray.